the paradox of anxiety. I'm going to tell you three stories. One of them is not true. And I'll let you kind of guess which one it is as I'm telling them. I'm Jonathan with Limitless Mindset. And you'll probably want to check out the article version of this presentation. I've got it linked below wherever you are watching or listening to me. And I've got all the good little links and all the rabbit holes that you may want to delve into there. Okay, first story. So years ago, it was early fall in Kyiv. And I was strolling by Taraz Chivchenko Park. I uh, lived there a while back. You can check out my article that I did on that, which was entitled, I think I met a spy in Kiev. So I'm just strolling. It's a beautiful day. And this gorgeous silver Maserati catches my eye. And it pulls in and parallel parks a bit ahead of me where I'm walking. And the capital of Ukraine, at least when I was there, oddly, it has the highest concentration of uh, high-end luxury cars that I've ever seen in my life outside of like a luxury car show. And so it parked ahead of me and this muscular, middle-aged guy gets out wearing a stylish, athletic gear. And if you've spent much time in Eastern Europe, you know just the type. And I thought to myself in that moment, I should cold approach this guy and compliment him on his car. But of course, as soon as I said that, a bunch of reasons not to jumped into my mind. A bunch of reasons why this might be a terrible idea. I thought to myself, you have no idea who the hell this guy is. In a city and a country like this, with a car like that, he might be a real mobster. And you're just a solo tourist here. You're in no position to be taking risks. And you'll probably just annoy him. Just mind your own business, Jonathan. This is not a country where people appreciate strangers starting conversations with them out of the blue. And he might not even speak English. And I pushed those thoughts aside and just started walking towards the guy. And I clearly enunciated in English. Excuse me, you have a beautiful car. At the time, I did speak enough uh, Russian to say this, but I had learned doing at least 500 cold approaches that unless you speak a language fluently, just go with English. And the guy smiled just slightly at me and responded in a very thick Slavic accent. Thank you. It's new. And we chatted for a few minutes there before heading our separate ways. And he told me that he was a dentist. A likely story, right? And then another story 
kind of in the same vein. I was in Medellin, Colombia, where I also lived. And I had been watching a bunch of these videos on YouTube about day game, about approaching women, doing a cold approach during the daytime when everyone's sober. And I was enthusiastic to try it because I was getting pretty frustrated with the results that I was getting out of, uh, you know, trying to meet women in the nightlife. So I'm strolling through the cosmopolitan El Poblado neighborhood of downtown Medellin. And I see this uh, very elegant uh, woman who is strolling just a bit ahead of me. You can imagine just a good looking Latina woman dressed kind of professionally in a form-fitting gray dress. And so I go and do the thing that you may have seen. In fact, I have made videos of me uh, day gaming, my own wife doing this. I trotted ahead of her and put my arm out and gave her a little wave and just said in Spanish this time, because I did speak that language fluently, I said, hello, I just saw you and I had to say something really quickly to you. I thought that you looked very nice today and then introduced myself. And that was my first ever cold approach. And it went surprisingly well. I had some beginner's luck. She uh, stopped and asked me if I wanted to smoke a cigarette with her, which I declined. But we chatted for just a few moments and I actually got her a phone number. Although that (laughs) phone number never really went anywhere, anywhere. And that was a bit of a rush. And then a third story. More recently, I was at the gym here in Bulgaria, where I now live. And I had one of these awkward little situations in the gym. I'm sure this has happened to you, where you're about to go and do some bench pressing uh, on the on the on the bench press station. And there's another guy that kind of goes for the bench press at the same time you do. And you have just an awkward little moment where it's like, are you going to do the bench press or am I going to do the bench press? Which one of us is more assertive about doing our bench presses in this moment? And so I kind of just let him go for it because he was a big muscular guy. He looked like he uh, he looked like he really belonged there. I was like, okay. And so I kind of uh, did something else to the side, did some some stretches to the side, and then he finished up. And I got that same kind of reaction in this moment where I was like, you know what? I should do a cold approach. I should do an open right now. But then of course, I had all the same excuses that pop up oh, I shouldn't bother another person in the gym. Maybe he doesn't want to talk to me. We just had a little bit of a uh, very uh, subtle, very meta confrontation right there. And he might not speak English. He has his headphones in. I have my headphones in. But I kind of pushed through that resistance. And as I went to go and do my bench pressing, I waved to him real quick and I said, Hey, man, can you give me a spot here 
And he nods and he sa- he gives me a smile and he says, yeah, sure. And so then he comes over and spots me doing my bench presses. And then as I get up, he says, hey, where are you from? And I say, oh, I'm from Colorado in the United States. And he's like, oh, really? And he turns out to speak English well. And then we have a chit chat about uh, what I think of his country and what we're doing in the gym. And then that guy kind of ended up being kind of a, a gym buddy of mine, a guy that I talk with a little bit. And so those were, uh, at least one of those turned out to be a fruitful, cold approach, right? Where I push through some of the resistance. And like I said, one of these stories is fake. And that is actually the first one about the guy with the Maserati. And I was in that situation a number of times when I lived there, but shamefully, I always kind of wimped out when it came to approaching these uh, guys in their gangster cars. Uh, maybe, Maybe in the future, I'll try to do that. And funnily enough, this was a story that I had wrote in this article years and years ago because I thought it was a good illustrative story about pushing through approach anxiety. But as I was reviewing it, updating this article today, I realized that I wasn't being honest with my audience about it. So I decided to be uh, honest about that. I have gone through different uh, phases where I wanted to experiment with telling myself false stories. I'd come up with a false story about something I had done or experienced and then tell that story and see if I could convince myself over time, see if I can implant a false memory and that uh, did not work. And so now you know. And so these three stories bring us to what I call the paradox of anxiety. And we tend to think erroneously, I'm going to make the case, we tend to think of anxiety as a problem of wimpy people. We hear anxiety and we think of the lady who just locks up when she has to do public speaking in a meeting, or the college graduate who is paralyzed by nervousness before a big job interview so that they can get that good job and manage to pay off a little bit of their college debt. Or we think of the shy guy who is afraid to introduce himself to a pretty girl. He fancies. Or we think of the uh, grumpy old man who watches too much television and is always angry and fretting about politics. But these are not the only manifestations of anxiety. It is also an inevitable side effect of ambition. In fact, I'll suggest to you that if you don't suffer from at least a little anxiety, then you're not really ambitious. And this is because risk and reward are inextricably entangled. 
Meaningful accomplishment entails danger, and true brilliance requires getting rid of the safety net. If you are doing something that really matters, there will be a very real chance of failure, and this naturally produces anxiety. If failure in the pursuit of that which you dedicate yourself is not a weighty enough possibility that it's disturbed your sleep in recent memory, then I contend what you are pursuing is not sufficiently ambitious. And I will accept from that previous sentence, elite sleep hackers, a little bit more about that later. So you may have some great redeeming qualities, but if you're not at least moderately apprehensive about your future and the things that you are undertaking and endeavoring to impose upon the world, you're not really ambitious. Entrepreneurs and business people are infamous for how they self-medicate and handle their anxiety. They often will use booze and marijuana. They may even use cocaine and hard drugs, or maybe they turn to medication and pharmaceuticals. I think of the pseudo-conservative uh, personal development guru, Jordan Peterson, um, in this situation. A lot of times, entrepreneurs and business people, really hard-charging people, they have uh, bad sex addictions often, which is how they, they, they self-medicate. Um, and they are often given to obsessive and impulsive exercise. Or maybe they do frequent plant medicine ceremonies. Maybe they're the kind of people that are like going flying down to Peru every four months so that they can do a ceremony. Or they are microdosing LSD around the office. So looking at these kinds of people, you can think of the movie The Wolf of Wall Street, where you have these extremely ambitious people making tons of money and they are just partying like crazy. They have every vice under the sun. You might look at these kind of people and conclude anxiety is just part of the deal if you're ambitious. If you want to do something that matters in the world, anxiety and stress will be your companions. And if you, if we were living at any other time in history, I would say that that sentiment is spot on. I would say that that is the cold, undeniable, undeniable uh, human condition, especially for men. But you are more fortunate than you know to be living in the current year, in modernity. And with all the things that are wrong with modernity, we can at least say that this one is not true anymore. And I'm going to explain why. But first, let's talk about fear. I don't subscribe to the idea that fear is something to be disregarded. In fact, I think it's one of the stupider self-help platitudes that has permeated 
pop psychology and mainstream consciousness. Perhaps some well-meaning and charismatic guru has convinced you that fear is just false evidence appearing real. This is true some of the time, but a lot of times fear is a very useful reaction to very real evidence. And many people make bad decisions because they just disregard it. And this acronym is such a convincing, absolute generalization that I'll encourage you to just throw it out of your vocabulary and internal narratives. So what is a more rational response to fear? I would contend that there's two pillars to that, which is to embrace acute fear arbitrarily and biohack general fear categorically. I'll elaborate and illustrate. So first of all, embrace acute fear arbitrarily. Often visceral fear is the compass that we can use to navigate to success, meaning, and achievement in life. The more guttural the fear we have about something that we know intellectually is not deserving of avoidance, the more, I think, in a lot of situations, we should lean into that fear. And here's why. Often, your powerful subconscious mind will notify you of opportunities with a heuristic gut reaction. And this is the sensation that you have experienced thousands and thousands of times in your life. It is the tension that you feel in the chest and gut, that increased heartbeat, raised blood pressure. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And the confusing thing is that this feels like fear, but actually it's an opportunity signal in a lot of cases. So you have no doubt heard successful people talk about how they just follow their instincts. And I understand this can be supremely frustrating to hear if you have met with failure in the past, and perhaps you bear the scars, uh, metaphorically or even physically speaking, as a result of just following your instincts, the way those successful people on television brag about doing, or as a result of uh, just embracing uh, the impulsive decisions that seemed right at the time. And the good news is that you can develop much more keen and helpful gut instincts by arbitrarily pursuing the things that stimulate a heuristic gut reaction. So I'm not encouraging you to do things that you know are dangerous, that are clearly dangerous, but if you get an acute heuristic reaction to something that you logically know is not actually dangerous, like the examples I brought up talking to the gangster-looking Ukrainian guy with a Maserati 
or doing the day gaming or talking to a stranger at the gym who kind of looks like they don't want to have their workout bothered, then that is very likely your sign that this is an interaction to lean into. And I made a video going a little bit deeper on that a few years back. Uh, it was called Gut React on the topic of heuristic decision making. So this brings me to the second aspect of managing and handling and approaching fear rationally, which is to biohack general fear or anxiety and biohack it categorically. Like I said, the side effect of ambition and doing things because they are hard. I love that I love that concept of doing things because they are hard. You can think of that great speech by John F uh, by JFK where he said that we choose in this decade to go to the moon and do other things, not because they are easy, but just because they are hard. So if that's an ethos that really resounds with you and you endeavor to have a lifestyle of pursuing challenges, the side effect of that is going to be low-level chronic anxiety, is going to be a background hum of stress and worry. But in modernity, unless you're living in a war zone or you're struggling with some sort of dire chronic illness that immediately, unless you've got something that is immediately threatening your life, there's no good reason for you to suffer from that anxiety when there are so many options for hacking your stress management. Let's talk about some of those. And again, I've got these all linked. I bet a few of these that I'm going to mention is really going to appeal to you. And it ex I'd, I'd strongly encourage you to explore further. So first of all, a daily meditation or a mindfulness practice. You can do things like listening to soothing mood enhancing binaural beats. That's what I was doing earlier today. And boy, they made me feel great. They made me feel really in that relaxed, aroused zone. You can get more serious about your sleep hacking, about being very rigorous about the way that you relax in the evenings, doing things like the orange sunglasses and the supplements before bed that encourage your autonomic nervous system to turn itself down, using the right kind of light in your bedroom, um, all of that kind of good stuff. You can check out my article on sleep hacking. You can also, of course, do things like exercise and weightlifting. This is always going to help you with your stress and anxiety. You can look into breath work and the Taoist breathing techniques. You can take cold showers. Oh! Oh my, oh, that's cold. Oh, oh, that's cold. Or you could do yoga, martial arts, or you can do flow state inducing activities, things like 
surfing that are going to get you into that sublime kind of headspace more regularly. All these things are going to help with your stress management. With These are all the kinds of things that are going to uh, maintain mental, mental health, right? And then on top of those things, there are, of course, anxiolytic drugs and supplements that people use to deal with anxiety. But the problem with a lot of them is that they will blunt performance or even retard cognition. So 500 milligrams of phenibut, for example, will work marvelously to clear your head of worries in about half an hour, but it will have a negative effect on your ability to do intellectual work. In my biohacking and self-evaluation and experimentation, I've done uh, phenibute in all sorts of doses, and I've tried doing phenibute during the daytime while I was working, doing my normal stuff, and it was never great for my productivity or my ability to do good problem solving. Luckily, though, there are a handful of nootropics that are at the intersection of enhancing performance and also assuaging anxiety. And so I'll mention them here in more or less descending order of effectiveness, potency, and uh, efficacy or safety. So I'd mention probably at the top of this list, nicotine. Nicotine is pretty amazing for lowering cortisol. In fact, I found with my self-quantification, when I would use my HRV app, I found that nicotine was the best nootropic for getting me into a more coherent, relaxed arousal kind of state. Behind that, I would mention rhodiola, which is the king of the adaptogens. It really is a great herb that makes your nervous system more adaptive, that when your nervous system needs to be fired up, uh, running at 110%, rhodiola is going to unleash that. But then when you also need to relax, rhodiola is going to help with that. I will also mention Panax ginseng. This is not a quintessential nootropic or smart drug, but it's something that will really help with anxiety. I would also mention ashwagandha. Ashwagandha is a great anxiolytic herb. There is L-theanine, which is the active ingredient in green tea and also kind of a creativity stimulator in its own right. There is the ampicinic racetam, aniracetam, that can be quite good for getting you into this focused, relaxed, productive kind of state. That one really is a quintessential smart drug. And then I will mention crotum last, which is the herb. It's, it's a relatively benign herb from Southeast Asia, which does have an opioid mechanism. And it works wonders for some people's chronic anxiety, although it does have a dark side for some people, which my meta-analysis delves into. Some of the science done on crotum indicates that it has a negative effect on cognition. 
Additionally, there's some biohacking hardware that has stress-relieving effects in my experience. Notably, the HRV training devices that give you near-immediate biofeedback on your autonomic state. You'll want to check out my reviews of those, along with my reviews of the two Infopathy devices. There's the strap-on PMF Hummer that I use. I actually strap it right onto my head and I use it to entrain my brain waves. If I want to be in a more focused kind of state, then I can entrain those brain waves. And if I want to be in a more relaxed kind of state, then I can do that. A lot of times I'll do that in the evening when I'm just chilling and reading a bit after a long day. And then there is the IC pad, which I use to download into water anxiolytic infaceutical drugs. If that sounds unbelievable to you, check out my article and my interview with the inventor of that device. So in conclusion, a wise biohacker has a complex relationship with anxiety. They take on ambitious projects with a modicum of risk that will stimulate anxiety. They look to anxiety as a sign that they're on the right path in life, that they're taking on sufficiently risk-reward kinds of things. And then secondly, they arbitrarily pursue things that viscerally scare them, but that, they, but that they know are logically benign. So this could be everything from cold approach. And as I illustrate in my story, a cold approach is great if you're a single guy doing a lot of strolling of the streets, but you can also do cold approach in the gym. Or if you're a uh, luxury car aficionado, you can cold approach other guys. It's not one of these things that you need to uh, give up if you're in a monogamous relationship. And then thirdly, the wise biohacker habituates the stress management and anxiety management using that, using an armamentarium of biohacking tools and supplements. So that's my take on anxiety. It's, it's really a double-edged sword in life that I do hope you will, over time, learn to yield. You will, uh, in the beginning, you'll be like a, a Padawan. You'll be like Luke Skywalker there in the Millennium Falcon when he's first learning to use his lightsaber and he's trying to deflect the little laser beams shot at him by that little circular droid and he's not very good. But over time, he becomes very adroit with it and he can, in fact, dance as he's... Uh, yielding his lightsaber and deflecting the stormtroopers' beams. That's what I wish for you. Do drop me a comment or you can shoot me a message however you please. 
letting me know how you approach and manage anxiety because a lot of you out there in my audience have uh, smart approaches to this kind of thing. And I'd love to hear what's working for you. I'm Jonathan with Limitless Mindset. Looking forward to a continued conversation with you.